0: John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Stronger Die podcast. Today my guest is Anthony Pernice. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. <clears throat> it's
0: good to hear. Um, so, uh, as always, um, let's get a, a brief history here. Let our um, listeners get to, to know a little bit about you and, and where you come from and how you got into strongman and all that so if you don't mind can you tell us uh you know when when was the first time you picked up a barbell and started and doing all this crazy stuff
1: um well actually i started relatively young i mean the first time i, I started lifting was you know in high school um, i played sports in high school um weirdly enough i was on the golf team okay. um, but i also played basketball and ran track uh, which were um, basketball is kind of where I got into the to the weightlifting side of things. And, you know, then once I got to college, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to be on the basketball team at Transylvania University, which is a small liberal arts college in Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, had a couple of knee surgeries while I was there. And so in rehabbing those knee surgeries, for a lot of it, all I could do was lift. And I kind of pretty quickly figured out I enjoyed the lifting more than I enjoyed the basketball side of things. Right. Uh, had a had a friend by the name of Billy Redman who was a powerlifter, uh, who went to Transy, and uh, he was kind of in the in the weight room one day and was like, "Hey, you're pretty strong. You should try powerlifting." And so started working with him. Um, got into powerlifting my senior year at Transy competed for I'm trying to think maybe four or five years after that and then kind of took a break from the sport got into some other things Um, you know my daughter Aubrey was born and then um, went actually went back to law school six years after graduating from undergrad okay and during my third year in law school I had this kind of weird three-hour break in the middle of the day and Um, You know, though I had, you know, done some lifting period, I hadn't really done any kind of competitive lifting and started walking over to uh, this gym at the University of Kentucky and started lifting again, realized I was still pretty strong and thought, hey, let's try a powerlifting meet again. Did that, that was 2013, and then competed in powerlifting for another Oh, I think two and a half, almost three years. Got kind of bored with the whole constant squat bench deadlift and only squat bench deadlift. And uh, there was uh, a friend of mine at the gym that knew Davey McCann in Kentucky and knew about his strongman class and said, hey, you might want to try this. And so I went up there one weekend to Frankfurt and was hooked the moment I walked in there. it was the coolest thing i'd ever done signed up for a show that was like six weeks later uh down in paducah kentucky and that was my first strongman show and then i've been competing ever since uh strongman's actually how i met my wife emily um who's now actually a heavyweight pro uh strong woman uh earned her pro card at nationals this year and so it's it's truly a family thing for us at this point
0: very cool that's a that's a, a pretty good uh, story and journey you've been through so far. Um, so, how has uh, training differed from uh, powerlifting, and then and then transitioning into uh, strongman? Was it was it pretty natural for you to figure that out, or, or did it or did you you have some trouble? Or
1: you know, I, I, I did really struggle. There were certain things I was good at you know, I was good at the deadlift. Um, I was never much of a presser even as a power lifter. Um, and that's continued to be something I've struggled with in strongman too. But, um, I figured out really quickly, I was not in good enough shape and I was not mobile. And so after competing for about eight or nine months, kind of fumbling around with programming, I hired Scott Lamb, um, also known as Vanilla Gorilla, who uh, was training my wife at the time and started working with him, and we started kind of going through and correcting those things, you know, working on getting me in better shape, working on getting me mobile, working on getting my press better. Um, And I, I trained with Scott up until... Um, earlier this year when I transitioned over to uh, Terry Ratty who trains me now uh, both my wife and I um, and he's kind of taken over you know still working on some of really some of those same things I mean you know my overhead pressing is is not my strong suit some of it is because I have really long arms which is awesome for the deadlift Uh, but not so great when you got to press something over your head you know so it was a, it was a difficult transition, you know, but it's helped me in, you know, when I've had power lifters who are transitioning over, who talked to me about what it's like, it's helped me explain to them what to expect.
0: Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Very cool. So, um, I'm guessing, uh, that you, you know, when you were powerlifting, you were squatting and, and deadlifting and bench pressing, you know, probably two or three times a week. Uh, each of those lifts, um, how has that changed since, um, you know, now Now you have, you know, an infinite number of possibilities for, at any given competition. How has that kind of changed?
1: It, it, it's what primarily I've noticed is, I don't want to say a de-emphasis on the squat because that's not really accurate, but I think it's squatting with a different purpose in that it's not necessarily about moving the maximum amount of weight. It's, you know, so it's a lot of safety bar squats that really tax the core, you know, a lot of front squats to do the same thing, to build that core strength. And then, you know, the I still press at least twice a week, um, with that being a weakness of mine, and the deadlift has been a lot of... Changing variations, you know, because in strongman, it's not just, you know, a deadlift from the floor. It might be 18 inches, it might be 13 inches, it might be a car, it might be an axle, you know, so you're constantly changing those variations. Um, and even within a training cycle, you know, if I have a, say, a 13 inch deadlift, I might be training it nine inches some and 10 inches some and from the floor some, you know, all to, Kind of help with that, whatever the competition height may be.
0: Very cool. Um, you said something interesting there uh, about the squat that um, the emphasis wasn't so much about um, you know moving moving weight or uh, a number, um, and I think that's important. A lot of people get really fixated on um, on numbers and um, and especially in powerlifting, right? Like the number is very very important in a powerlifting meet, but. In um, strongman, it's not so um, so much so. At least on a lot of events, right? Um, so I think a lot of people get uh, in their head, like even with a squat, that hey, I have to like squat you know ten pounds more, or fifteen pounds more. In reality, though, it's it's kind of um, an assistance exercise yes. as far as strongman goes. So it's it's not so much about the number. It's just that you're doing it and that you're getting stronger because of it. Um, would you say that's accurate?
1: I, I think that's accurate because I see it all the time when guys come over from powerlifting or they come from other strength sports. You see a guy who has an 800 pound squat, but he can't carry a 600 pound yoke. Right. Um, you know, or you see guys who can absolutely fly with an eight, nine hundred thousand pound yoke, but they can't squat 600. Right. And, and so, you know it's so much it's it's a lot about building particular strength um i know you know for me it's used a lot as a conditioning exercise in a weird way in that a lot of my squat workouts are timed sets so i may have five six seven sets of squats and they're all 60 seconds apart right but none of them will be more than you know a low 500s kind of number yeah
0: and uh and, and that's not low 500s is not um, a lot of weight for you in particular, so that that would be a, a relatively low intensity uh, percentage
1: right and, and it's so it's not you know it, it's not about moving max weight with the squat. and you know people ask me all the time, well, what's your max squat now? I have absolutely no idea right. I honestly can't tell you the last time I maxed out any squat variation. No clue. <laughs> now, would
0: you, would you still say that, um, you know, even without maxing it out, that it is, that it is completely necessary for strongman? because I see that argument a lot and I obviously have my own opinion. Um, but I see every now and again, you'll see online or something, there'll be a camp that'll spring up and they'll say, we don't squat cause it doesn't show up in competition and this and that. Um, I don't tend to agree with that. I would like to hear your opinion, though.
1: From my perspective, the the number of muscles in the body that the squat recruits in order to execute it, and all of those... You know, almost everything in Strongman is a compound movement. Right. So I'm not sure how you could train for Strongman by completely ignoring one of the most fundamental compound movements. Right. Uh, And and so I, I... I can't imagine training strongman without doing some squatting. And I know for a fact that there different variations of the squat have absolutely helped my performance in various strongman lifts. Yeah, for
0: sure. And I would agree with that. Um, a hundred percent. I think, uh, if, if you're, if you're serious about it, you, you need to be, um, squatting. And I think if you look at any of the top, top echelon of, of competitors, all the top people are, um, Squatting. I use uh, Zadrunas as an example for this all the time. If he has the most boring Instagram page of any strong man alive, <laughs> but but if you go to his Instagram page, it's full of awkward pictures and then him squatting and him log pressing. <laughs> like that's it. Yep. That's it.
1: It's and, like, and that's absolutely <laughs> true.
0: Yeah. It's log press, squats, and a bunch of awkward pictures. And obviously, he's doing more than that. You know, he's he's training. Uh, clearly, doing more than log press and squats, uh, he's very good at moving events too. So he's obviously doing those. But I think when you look at the page and you see that that's what is predominantly being posted, it tells you what's important.
1: And I think that's absolutely true. You know, in in I, I kind of joke. I think sometimes the most effective strength routines aren't necessarily very complicated. Right. It's a lot of doing very basic, fundamental compound movements, with some accessory work thrown in to help fix various muscles you may have that are weak, and then you just keep repeating that same concept over and over until you're, you know, as you just get stronger.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think I think uh, the irony is that. Um, People screw it up because because of the simplicity, and um, and then uh, recovery. I think a lot of people uh, when they first get into anything, whether it's powerlifting or, or bodybuilding or whatever, you know, you hear all this uh, "no pain, no gain" and all this stuff, and they want to go super hard and spend nine hours at the gym, maxing out on every exercise and things, and you can't recover from it. And the reality is, um, it, it's way simpler than that. You actually don't have to do that. And and uh, like you said, it's just finding weak points and doing just enough to bring those up and then moving on to the next weak link. But uh, yeah, but that's easy, to, that's easy to screw up if you ever think it, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in a very similar way, if you looked at a lot of my routine in my training, none of it is insanely complex stuff you know, there's not lots of bands and chains and weird angles and half reps. And there's, there's really not a lot of any of that stuff. You know, if there's bands or chains involved, it's for a specific purpose to fix a specific thing. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's, you know, it's not, you know, I I, I don't do a lot of, you know, I see people all the time with these huge overloaded reverse band stuff. And I I don't understand any of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think there's a time and a place for some of that and I think, you know, that that's pretty individual. It could work for somebody, it may not. Um but I don't think it's necessary. And I've talked to a lot of people um you know, a lot of people on the podcast that I've had on here. Uh, just just a few uh Trey Mitchell, Ray Williams, they don't do um they don't ever use a band or a chain or any of that stuff and it it's hard to it's hard to argue you know that, that they need that stuff when when they're on that level and, and doing that stuff and the same with yourself it's hard to it's hard for me to believe that you need those things um and and clearly there's people selling those things and and that's why that, that's been pushed and it's there's such a big uh, kind of a cult following for that stuff is because somebody's selling that stuff right um but i think people forget that you know just 30 years ago or 40 years ago or whatever that there was no bands you know and uh chains are also relatively new as far as um using them with power lifts and stuff um and and there were people strong just as strong you know 100 years ago um as there are today so i think i think that's a testament um to you know simplicity and, and just kind of have an old school uh, mentality when going into training
1: yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, when you look at, you know, I, I had the, the benefit of Ray Williams did a seminar um, that my wife and I put on at our gym. And, you know, I had the privilege of watching him work out. And it was amazing how simple everything he does is. Yeah. You know, and, and had the opportunity to go out to dinner with him and his, uh, his wife and talk to them about, you know, his training. And it's really pretty simple. And when you look at a lot of the great strength athletes throughout history, there's not a whole lot of complexity to what most of them did. It was loading weight on a barbell until that was easy, and then loading more weight on the barbell.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's actually I – I can't remember which one it is. There's a there's – I think it's one of those video seminars that Mark Ripito did. Uh, some It was in a, a Mark Ripito video, in any case. I think it was a seminar. And he talks about how um, that exact thing. He says, you know, like, his starting strength program, uh, he says it works, and, and but he says that it's also boring to most people. It's not for most people because you're going to do the same thing every week after week. And the only exciting thing is, Hey, I squatted five more pounds this week than I did last week. And if, if that can't excite you, then you should probably get a different program, you know? Um, and I I think that's very true. And when you're really, uh, when you're really training for competition and, and you're not necessarily interested in going to the gym to have fun or do whatever, I think that's what you have to look for. Um, to be fun is like, Hey, I did a little bit more on this or this obviously improved. And and that's kind of what you're looking for because it's going to be very simple and very basic and and almost boring to somebody that's not really in love with it.
1: Well, what I tell a lot of people that my wife and I, you know, work with is the fun part comes at the end when you see how all of this work paid off. Right. When you go to a show and you PR every event or, you know, you have a test day at the end of a training cycle, and you PR every lift. Right. That's the fun part. Yeah. All the stuff that came before it was just the stuff you've got to show up and do the work. Right. Yeah. I, I, like it's not always it's not always going to be fun.
0: No. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. And you know, uh, especially when you're competing, you know, there's sometimes it's just not fun. You know, they they'll have days when you go in and it's like well you know I gotta be here you just gotta basically punch the time clock and show up and do it you know but like you said later on um, it makes up for it It, it, most of the time anyway
1: yeah I mean I I think of you know I did a show Beast of the Bluegrass a couple years ago that had this horrific medley There was a 300 pound sandbag, a 300 pound keg and like a 600 pound prowler that you had to drag backwards okay and I remember I think I puked every week training that medley for like eight weeks <laughs> nothing was fun about that right but showing up and you know doing really well in that event at the show was worth all the time that that sucked
0: right? yeah for sure um, so let's change gears a little bit um, so uh, what shows have you done um, this year
1: So this year I have done... Uh the Arnold Amateur back in March. Okay. Um, where, um I'm a I'm heavyweight, as I kinda of joke, I'm a smaller heavyweight. I'm only about two hundred and eighty-five to two hundred ninety. So I kinda of jokingly hashtag a lot of my videos as the little heavyweight that could. Um <laughs> just because you know, you walk into somebody's shows and you got these guys that walk in and they're six foot five and they're three hundred and fifty pounds, and you're like, Awesome, here we go. Um but I did the Arnold amateur, um did not do as well as I had hoped. Um I zeroed the log, which has been a nemesis of mine for a long time. Um, it was a 330-pound log. It's a log I can easily hit now, but for whatever reason, couldn't at that on that day, um, and that kind of murdered me. Did really well in the other events, though. Um, you know, but when you zero a event at a world level championship, you're kind of done. So, uh, did that, then turned around and did uh, Beast of the Bluegrass, which is Um, a platinum plus show I won the 300 pound class there so I'm going to be back at the Arnold Amateur uh, in March this coming year 2020 and then took um, some downtime because on the last stone at Beast of the Bluegrass I suffered a partial bicep tear luckily it was in the muscle belly itself it wasn't the tendon so I didn't have to have surgery on it but it put me out for about 8 to 10 weeks to get back up to full speed um, and then I did uh, Kentucky Strongest Man just a couple of weeks ago, um, which is where this, this deadlift happened. Um, and that was held in conjunction with America's Strongest Man under 105. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to do Static Monsters uh, this coming weekend. And then I'll start getting ready for the, the Arnold Amateur in 2020.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So um, let's talk about this deadlift that broke the internet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no
0: kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I, I don't even know where to start because the, the, the whole thing, <laughs> I mean, it's awesome what you're in. It's ridiculous on the internet's end. Um, yeah, I don't know where to even start, but uh, I know you're getting a lot of flack for um, for them using a deadlift bar. Uh, and, and I have my opinions on deadlift bars, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's it's just ridiculous. Can I get your take on it first, and then we'll kind of dig into it?
1: Yeah, I mean, what what struck me as odd about it is, you know, 18-inch deadlift, silver dollar deadlift, whatever term you want to use for it, have been around in Strongman forever. I mean, I remember as a kid watching, you know, World's Strongest Man and seeing them do variations of this lift all the time. I mean, whether it was done with boxes of coins or bricks or stones or all kinds of different variations. Yeah. And, you know, I had this lift at a show, a couple of shows last year, um, one of which I pulled eleven hundred at. And so when the events were being picked for, you know, ASM slash Kentucky Strongest, you know, the subject came up of hey, if we put a max eighteen inch deadlift, will you do this show and will you go after Eddie Hall's record? Okay. And so you know, I looked at it and we figured out, you know, the, really the only ways to make it happen was going to be calibrated plates. Otherwise, it's not fitting on the bar, you know, short of building some kind of huge, complicated, true silver dollar right. setup, which creates all kind of issues with loading it and stuff. and And so you know the, uh, fortunately enough david was willing to to spend the money to buy the calibrated plates to make it fit um and actually if you watch the video it still barely fit yeah um <laughs> and you know so i started training up for it and realized it was going to be possible and you know so the time came and you know and what was funny is the event the, the morning of the event he actually changed it from a three-round powerlifting setup to just a straight rising bar. Yeah, and which was fine. I mean, I just kind of told him, "I'm like, hey, I'm just going to need you to give me a couple of minutes between attempts." Um, and that's kind of the part of it nobody saw. It was my three attempts that I took, I took a thousand three, ten eighty, and eleven ninety back to back to back. Um, and just kind of took, I think I took three or four minutes between the first and the second and like four or five minutes between the second and the third. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's been kind of interesting to me, you know, what, what I found fascinating is basically the people who have been competitors in the sport or the people who know the history of the sport, you know, have all been very positive about the lifts. You know, I can't think of any kind of major players in the sport who have been like, hey, that's, you know, junk, that shouldn't count. It's been all these kind of other people that seem to have an opinion about it. Right. And what's amazing to me is it's a lot of people who don't know the history of the lift in Strongman. Like, they didn't recognize the difference between Eddie's 500 from the floor. And the fact that he had pulled 536 in a silver dollar. Right. And when I'm using those numbers meaning kil- kilograms, my lift was 540 kilograms. Right. Um, and they didn't realize that at World Ultimate Strongman last year they had this event. Yeah. And, and so it's always been fascinating because people are like, well, you didn't break Eddie Hall's deadlift record. His deadlift is 500 from the floor. Well, I've never said that's the one <laughs> that I broke. Right. right. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest with you, having pulled the weight that I did from 18 inches, it makes his 500 from the floor way more impressive. Yeah. Because I can't even imagine. I mean, you know, I've pulled 1,100 or more, I think, three or four times now. Yeah. I can't even imagine putting that on the floor and even attempting to move it. Yeah. I mean, it makes it makes that seat insane to me. You know, um but, you know, that, I mean, that's that's kind of how it came about. And, you know, for the most part, people have, you know, I mean, they've criticized the bar. And I mean, it's not like, it, almost as if deadlift bars are some kind of foreign thing nobody's ever heard of. Right. Yeah, you right. Know, um, <laughs> like that, that was one of the criticisms that kind of surprised me. Because they kind of were like, well, you know, you used a deadlift bar. And, yeah, we use those in Strongman all the time. So, you know, and so you know. Once it was all loaded on there, I mean, when you put that much weight on a deadlift bar, yeah, it bends a lot.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know. I mean that that's that's kind of the point of the bar.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. I, that was kind of my reaction to that. Was I'm pretty sure it was supposed to do that. the The whole
0: the whole thing. I, I try not to comment too much. This one this one took a lot of uh, willpower to not jump in the internet mosh pit over this one but uh yeah so so the first comments that i happen to see in regards to this um well let me actually let me rewind a little bit i do want to touch on this like you said none of the pros none of the competitors nobody in your your league basically has said anything negative that i've seen um it has all been you know Joe Jack off on Facebook. <laughs> Nobody even knows who they are. Um, so, yeah, it's just a bunch of uh, armchair people just running their mouth. But but um, they're talking, so we're going to talk about it. Uh, the first thing I saw was people were saying, well, this is just a rack pull. Well, number one, <laughs> it's not a rack pull. It was off of blocks. And if you lift at all, you know there is a subtle difference between a rack pull and a block pull there is a difference there so so that's completely just an incorrect statement to begin with um and then next like who cares like you can do anything in a strongman show right like if somebody wants to have a rack pull in a strongman show like let's have a rack pull at a strongman show
1: (laughs) well the one the one that cracked me up about this is if you think of one of the most iconic deadlift moments in strongman it's john paul sigmerson's You know, there's no reason to be alive if you can't do deadlift. Yeah, yeah. As he's deadlifting a wagon wheel that was like twenty two inches off the ground. Right. Right. Like (laughs) that's that's kind of the example I shoot back with on that is like, well, that's one of the most iconic moments in the history of deadlifting.
0: Right. And yeah, and it was just it was some kind of wagon wheel, you know, deadlift and I think I think there's just been a lot of um I I think one of the problems is actually measuring the inches. I realize you kind of have to do that if you're going to have records in it, but I think that comes from people overthinking things and oh, how high is the bar off the ground, this and that when really it's just a partial deadlift. I mean, I I doubt, there's no way John Paul Sigmerson knew how high that deadlift was and he went and did it and it is what it is, and it was a wagon deadlift, and nobody cares, nobody knows how high that thing was off the ground, and nobody cares, right? It was a it was a right. heavy, it was a heavy deadlift, and he did it, and I'm sure he won that year, and nobody even thinks to mention how high off the ground it was. So so there's that. I mean, <laughs> and you get these people saying, well, it wasn't 18 inches; the bar bent up to 22. Well, again, well, who, who who really cares? The event is what it is. You know, 18 inches is just kind of a uh, it's I, mean, I would say it's not really that relevant to what happened it was just we're calling it eighteen inches because that's kind of where it starts and who knows it could have been seventeen and a half I mean how well did they measure the damn thing you
1: know well yeah I mean it's kind of one of those where you have to call it something right and it was called a max 18 inch deadlift because that's the height the bar started at and We were going to do the most weight possible,
0: right? And so
1: that's what it happened to be called.
0: Yeah, people just totally, totally missed
1: the boat on that,
0: and then so so it went from rack pulls, and somehow rack pulls aren't a real thing or something, (laughs) and then it became uh, the bar. That was the second thing I seen. Everybody was attacking the bar, and I'm thinking it's okay to pull with a bendy bar from the nine inch standard lift from the floor, but not from 18. I'm just not real sure. Like, why does it matter if you're going to, if you're going to say it's okay to lift with a bendy bar, why does it matter at what height you lift with the bendy bar?
1: I, I just, I, I completely, I completely agree with that. You know, I was watching the world ultimate strongman deadlift today. Yeah. They were using a Texas deadlift bar in that just like mine. Right. It, I don't think it makes any of their lifts any less impressive. I mean, Ron O'Heinla's 990 today was one of the best deadlifts I've seen in a long time.
0: Very fast, too. Um,
1: yeah, because it looked like you could have done it for two or three more. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I just don't understand. And, and powerlifting adopted um, a deadlift bar some time ago, and, and there's a lot of federations that use that, USPA, and, and you don't really hear too much about it as far as like hey this is you know I mean it is what it is right Uh, and I couldn't tell you the last time I seen at any of the big shows the Arnold, Worlds, any of those where they used a bar that didn't flex to some extent
1: Uh, well if you watch some of the old silver dollar deadlift videos because of the way those things are set up or those boxes are hanging off the end of the bar you know both the bar is flexing a ton and then the boxes themselves are flexing right. yeah you know if you watch you know tom mcgee had the record before eddie hall if you watch his video those boxes aren't more than what an inch and a half off the ground at one point right and and i think
0: i think um i don't think anybody would argue this point uh, except maybe eddie hall just because he's kind of weird about stuff but uh uh, does a bendy bar help? Well, well, sure. Like, I don't think anybody's going to deny that. Hey, I would if I need a higher number on a lift, I would rather lift with a with a deadlift bar than like some super stiff bar, right? I don't think anybody's going to um, argue that point. But they've been using the bendy bar the whole time, so it's not like there was some crazy uh, advantage. Whereas, like if you look at in powerlifting, right, like it, it's tough to. Uh, compared the deadlifts of somebody from like 100 years ago to today because they may have used a stiff bar 100 years ago and now they're using a deadlift bar today so there there could be some uh you're kind of muddying the water there but in strongman especially with the 18 inch deadlift like you said you could go clear back to the era of john paul sigmerson and the bar is bending so i don't think there's any um like your deadlift is is equally on par with like ninety nine point nine percent of all other eighteen inch deadlifts. So I really don't understand where, where these people are coming from with the attacking the bar in this situation.
1: Well, and the funny thing about that is, you know, and Cale Beck did a great video about this, you know, I think last year, about talking about how the further out the weight is, the more bend you're gonna get. Right. So when you see some of these old eighteen inch deadlift videos where the boxes are another six or eight or 10 inches out beyond the bar. I mean, that puts bend into the bar beyond just kind of what you would get normally from just plates.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and, and Eddie Hall's, uh, deadlift is a prime example of that too, with the books. Cause they were in those giant, um, square box kind of deals. And, um, mm-hmm. and you know, when you watch the lift, you can see the inside of the box lifts off the ground before the outside of the box. And it is what it is. Um, I think that, that, that your lift and his lift are completely comparable. I think that, you know, it couldn't possibly get, I mean, unless, unless he had him on the boxes with the calibrated plates, but other than that, I mean, it was, uh, you know, 99.9% the same lift. I, I think it was completely comparable and um and you broke his record and there's in reality there's not much argument against that.
1: Well, I I, I appreciate that, and, and you know I've kind of joked that, you know since this is so easy to do, I'm waiting for all the videos of people with their 1,200 pound rack pulls. <laughs> right, right, I'll go I'll go do mine today, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm am just, just waiting for those to, you know. Now I'm going to say that, and you know somebody. You know, somebody out there, you know, a Bobby Thompson or somebody's going to be like, okay, and then they're going to go do it. But, you know, so be it.
0: Well, I think anybody that has any kind of hopes of doing it probably isn't talking shit about it. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I don't think they they appreciate the lift for what it is, and and they would probably, you know, I don't think anybody that can do it is going to be disputing the lift, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was definitely, it was a cool thing to do, you know, having both, you know, both my kids were there, Aubrey and Jackson, I kind of joke, you know, my wife was there. My wife probably celebrated it more than I did, you know, because I, I walked away from the bar and my wife is crying, my daughter's crying, and I'm standing there like, okay, did I die? <laughs> right. So, you know, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm okay. Am I like bleeding from the face somewhere? <laughs>
0: So so that actually brings up an interesting point. Um <clears throat> I was uh and there's there's actually multiple videos of of this lift obviously that are out there floating around. But I, I seen the one where um she's celebrating and she runs over and stuff and you seem to be pretty uh pretty uh collect and 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 calm cool and collect after the lift. It's you weren't like obviously you didn't pass out or do anything crazy like that. Um, What was it like to have that much weight, you know, completely lifted up and locked out and held on to? And just, uh, what was the pressure like? Um, Was it just like any other lift or was it completely different from anything you had ever done up to that point?
1: You know, it, it was weird because for me, and I find this true with any big deadlift that I've pulled, any height, any weight, Um, you know, any type of bar that when I really get it right, you know, like I feel the pressure and I feel it pulling on me, Mm -hmm. but as long as as long as I kind of do everything correctly, embrace everything, the way it feels in that moment is the way it either moves or it doesn't. Right. Um, so, you know, people say, well, what did it feel like? You know, in my own experience pulling like 18-inch deadlifts, for instance, Mm -hmm. once you start getting up above, much above like 900, they all feel really heavy. And it's kind of hard to say one feels like way heavier than another. Right. And and so kind of in that moment, what I really remember more than anything is Pat Rogers, me sitting there thinking, is he going to hold me forever? (laughs) because I'm standing there with it and I'm like, I'm waiting for the down signal and you kind of start going through that mental checklist. Like, okay, I haven't gotten it. And so you're like, okay, hips, knees. And then he's like down and I'm like, okay. (laughs) Um, you know, but in retrospect, I'm glad he did it. You know, we were lucky that this was part of the Kentucky strength and fitness expo. I'm sorry, the Kentucky muscle strength and fitness expo. And so there was bodybuilding and some professional wrestling and some arm wrestling and vendors. And we were kind of lucky, or I was lucky, that in that moment, most of the other stuff kind of didn't have anything going on. Yeah. And so a lot of people had come over to Strongman. Oh, very cool. And when I was focusing on that lift, I didn't really have a chance to look at the crowd. Mm-hmm. But it was a cool moment when I stood up and I'm waiting for that down signal, I kind of had a moment where I looked out at the crowd and, you know, saw all the people with the cell phones up and everything. And, you know, you kind of have that moment where, you're like, you know, this is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Hell, yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> Very cool. And how did you feel, uh, like, the next day and everything after after putting that much effort in? And, and then, you, I mean, that was just part of the competition as well. So how did you, yeah.
1: And I think that's the part that people don't necessarily realize is, you know, I had two events before that and two events after that. Right. So before that I had done a last man standing log, which I had gotten second place in and a sandbag toss over bar where we had a, I think it was, what was it? 35, 40, 45, 50 over 15 feet, um, which I had won. And then after that, you know, my reward for my deadlift was to go take an 800-pound yoke for a stroll. (laughs) And so, um, you know, really the next day, you know, I, I found, like, I had certain muscles that were sore. Like, you know, my spinal erectors were a little sore. My right hamstring was a little sore. But surprisingly, I felt better than I expected. And, I mean, you know, I was sore and things hurt. And I certainly wouldn't have wanted to go train on Sunday. Right. Um, but, you know, I certainly wasn't crippled either. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think that's just a credit to, you know, kind of the base of strength that Scott Lamb built in me um, when I was training with him, combined with kind of the conditioning that Terry had put me through. Mm hmm that allowed me to be in that condition. Cause I've done other shows in the past where I was just completely wrecked the next day.
0: Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. And uh, I think, um, I think that's something that, uh, is often ignored too, um, like just general physical preparedness and, and the ability to, uh, the ability to recover from those sorts of things, especially, um, strong is, is, uh, you know, different than, um, Powerlifting. I mean, you, you can end up with a lot more time under tension, uh, and and uh, especially those shorter range of motion things. You can move so much weight; it can just really wreck the uh, the CNS and everything like that. And um, if if but if you have good general physical preparedness and conditioning and all that, then um, you can sometimes you know make it through the next day and be like, okay, this this isn't so bad. Uh, like with myself, for example, a lot of times I don't really get sore; I just feel kind of tired but, um, you know, I can still move and do whatever. And, you know, you just feel a little tired. And, um, I think that's a good sign of where you're at physically.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, my wife was kind of laughing because I was up the next day doing laundry, right?
0: <laughs> Very cool. Um, so what, what's next for you then? Um, you know, you just did, uh, Kentucky strongest, uh, uh America's strongest. And what's, what's next, um, for you?
1: Um, Well, I have Static Monsters this coming weekend uh, up in, I'm going up to uh, Unbreakable Athletics, Jessica Fithen's gym up in Indianapolis. Uh, Both my wife and I will be competing there in that. Um, I'm hoping I can, I'd like to deadlift 1,000 on the axle from 18 inches. Um, It's not something that I've really trained at all. You know, I haven't done a a max 18-inch axle in, I bet it's been at least two years i can't even th- i guess dude, david Waters show back in 2017 um that he used to have in the baseball stadium i think yeah. was the last time i did an 18 inch deadlift on an axle cool so you know i have I, it's really hard for me to pick attempts for that show because i don't know where my strength is at on an 18 inch axle but i guess we're going to find out yeah um, there you go and then after that Um, I'll go kind of off season for a little bit before I start training really hard in probably early to mid December to get ready for the Arnold amateur in March.
0: Very cool. We'll definitely keep, uh, an eye out and our ear to the ground and see how you're doing at All those things. I'm definitely interested to, um, know about this, uh, this axle, um, deadlift and how that goes so uh, make sure you
1: know since that one since that one's not quite so bendy i i I don't think you know i don't think we'll be doing a repeat of the 1190 but
0: (laughs) maybe maybe, uh maybe the uh the internet we'll let the internet uh decide right
1: (laughs) right well you know it's kind of one of those where you know the competitive side of me saw you know adam dirks in training pulled like a thousand on the axle um I'm trying to think there was another one out there, um, you know, where someone pulled, I think 10, 20 or something like that. Yeah. So you see those numbers and you're like, well, okay, we can shoot for those. Right. But, you know, I'll be happy. You know, my main goal for static monsters is, you know, to, to do well enough to make sure I qualify for that world championship, right. which is next year, uh, up in Columbus, Ohio and then, and go from there.
0: Very cool. Awesome. Well, we will keep our uh, ears to the ground and definitely keep your um, your Instagram updated so we know what's going on. And um, <clears throat> we're about out of time here. Um, do you offer uh, training yourself or anything? If, if you have anything like that, let us know um, how people can get a hold of you um, for training or anything of that sort. Uh,
1: yes, my wife and I both offer training. Um, We have a company which we've just recently started um, called Renegade Rhino, which is a joke that came from me being referred to as a baby rhino by my wife one time. (laughs) Um, So we've started that company, um, and you can email us. It's apernice, spelled just like my last name, 125, at gmail.com. And we offer uh, training programs for both powerlifting and strongman and general fitness. Um, you know, but if you want information about that, yeah, please reach out to us. You can also reach out to either one of us, uh, on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I'm Anthony underscore Kentucky strong. And my wife is Emily underscore Kentucky strong. And, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to answer any questions that anybody's got about that.
0: Very cool. Um, well, we'll put a, uh, I'll put you the email address, um, <clears throat> up when I post the, uh, the link to the. To the podcast when it goes up that should be here in um two weeks i believe so okay awesome i do i thank you very much for taking the time um out of your day and joining us here and um would definitely love to have you back on uh later on maybe next year and uh and see how things are going
1: yeah absolutely i appreciate you having me
0: very cool uh this has been john the viking mauser anthony Pernice. get strong or
1: die